Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who's writing a hip-hop musical about Donald Trump, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Jeffrey Seller, the lead producer of a little musical you might have heard of called Hamilton. He also co-produced Rent, Avenue Q, and In the Heights, and I am an enormous fan of all his shows. We spoke in New York City just days before the final performance of Hamilton's original cast, which took place this past weekend. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kara. I'll be the first person to come to your backers audition for your hip hop. <laughs> okay. Donald Trump. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, right now, he just, I just was reading a New York Times article where he said he might not be president if he wins. So now I think he's just fucking with us at this point. He he's literally a performer, said that. Right? He's a performer. I, I think he may lend himself to Broadway uh, be better than he lends himself There's to the White House. There's going to be some opera. Don't you think there'll be some kind of... Well, he is an opera. He is an opera, exactly. <laughs> but let's get to what you're doing in theater. Um, there's so many things to talk about. The show, and I know I am probably the only person that's not going to ask you for a ticket. I have seen it. It's a wonderful production. And I saw it early, which was fantastic. And it's become a cultural phenomena. It's become a business phenomena. It's become a lot of things. And we're going to talk about the, the tech elements around it because of ticketing. There's been a lot of controversy about ticketing. And then about where live theater is going forward. So let's, let's jump in. So you're changing cast now, but you're expanding a ton. You just got back from London, for example. Oh, yes. Um, so as it turns out, this Saturday night will be the final performance of Lin-Manuel, who plays Hamilton, of Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Burr, of Philippa Sue, who plays Eliza. And this is the end of their one-year contracts. Mm -hmm. But the truth is they've been doing the show since they started rehearsal in November of 2014, mm -hmm. because we did the show for five months at the Public Theater right. Off-Broadway first. Mm -hmm. It's time. Mm -hmm. I think these are artists who look forward to expressing themselves in different ways right. and moving on with their own careers. Right. And I encourage that and I nurture that. And at the same time, we have extraordinary artists who are ready to go into Broadway. And we're going into rehearsal on August 1st with our Chicago company that right. starts previews there um, in late September, September 27th. So that'll be our second Hamilton company. And then we'll open our third Hamilton company in San Francisco in March. Mm -hmm. And then we'll open our fourth Hamilton company in London at the Victoria Palace Theater wow. in, in uh, October of 17. Uh, and then you'll expand beyond that. So also. then that'll be four. And then we'll start an additional national tour in Seattle in February of 2018. And is there a movie? Is that correct? Is there that, is not a movie. Not that a movie. is incorrect. Okay. What? I wanted to do before the original Broadway cast mm -hmm. left was record it for posterity. Right. So with nine cameras and an extraordinary film crew provided by Radical Media, we recorded the show last week, or I should say we taped the show last week, mm -hmm. so that we have a record of this extraordinary moment in time. Right, with this particular cast. But no plans for broadcast or streaming or anything else. Right now, my only plan is to exploit this show in its live state right. in as many places as I can, because that is the 
experience. True experience. Right. So let's talk about that. We're live theaters. Let's start that first. So you talk about the true experience. And a lot of people feel in this digital age, and I'm not going to use the term millennial, but anybody is very interested in using their phones. They're, you can walk down the street in New York. Everywhere you go, people are having an experience with their devices, really, pretty much. It's probably the best relationship many people have. And live theater is a different thing. Yeah, I have been completely energized and buoyed over the last five years mm -hmm. in watching how in live theater, I think we're experiencing a new golden age. Mm -hmm. Broadway attendance was over 13 million people this past season. Right. When I did Rent Which in 19... Possibly due to Hamilton, people it can't get those. Well, it's definitely possible. It, it's yeah. in part by Hamilton, but, right, of, but, those around but theater. of those 13 million tickets, only a little bit over half a million of them came to Hamilton. Right, right. So Hamilton is only part of a larger fabric. Right. When I did Rent in 1996, somewhere between eight and nine million people went to a Broadway show. Mm -hmm. So our Broadway attendance is up almost 50% in 20 years. And why is that? What is your. I think that the live experience, experiencing art live, experiencing it uh, with friends, with family, with people we love, is so rewarding an experience that people are searching it out amidst the digital age mm -hmm. in which our faces are in our phones seemingly every other hour of the day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so they, they come to do this live experience and to have the experience of being in a theater, being in the lights go down. There's there's an analog experience of being with people. And the greatest thing is that there is that we can use digital communication to help sell our tickets, right. to help get our word out. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing about that digital world that's going to replace the experience of going to the theater and mm -hmm. seeing the play live. And do you feel like people grown? I want to get to that idea of using technology because you guys have used it quite well. And at the same time, you've been plagued by some of the abilities of bots and other things to, Indeed, to hurt yes. you. But the experience of live theater, do you imagine we're creating a group of people, younger people especially, who don't appreciate that when they're all in these digital spaces? And as we add VR and, other, and AR and everything else to it, it creates a different kind of customer or audience. I am hopeful that all of these other products, tools, avenues are going to result in young people wanting to go to a live concert, wanting to go to a live theatrical event, wanting to go to a museum. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look across all of those mediums, rock and roll concerts are doing very well. Yep. Theater's doing very well. The Museum of Modern Art has had its biggest crowds ever mm -hmm. over the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. So talk about what you're trying to do when you're creating theater as opposed to when you started. You started as a booker, right? You booked... You... Well, I was always in the theater. Right. Um, I started doing theater in the fourth grade, and mm -hmm. basically I never stopped. What was the show you saw? I forgot the Times article was terrific about you. It was a show that you got, and I know exactly the feeling when I was young and went to a show. It changed. It was transformative. Right. Um, well, I was transformed by many things. I was transformed by the Purim play I was in in the fourth mm -hmm. grade, which, mm -hmm. of course, is the famous story of Queen Esther. But in my temple, they juxtaposed the story of Queen Esther to <laughs> South Pacific and uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. I think you should do so that again. I, I'm telling you, one musical, I was in, in that very first Purim, show. Purim, exclamation Yeah, point. it was Purim, but it was Rogers. I, I was introduced to Rogers and Hammerstein. I'm going to wash that man right out of yeah. uh, my hair. Uh -huh. And Gilbert and Sullivan, and we sail the ocean blue in our saucy ships of beauty. Yeah. Um, 
Then I wrote a play. Then I was in a lot of plays. And then mm-hmm. I started going to the theater when I was 13 at the Fisher Theater in Detroit and mm-hmm. saw virtually every single national tour that came in, mm-hmm. beginning with uh, Shenandoah and then very oh, quickly my. after Pippin and then A Chorus Pippin. Line and then Annie and The Magic Show and Sugar mm-hmm. Babies and mm-hmm. on and on. Yeah, I thought the original Shenandoah with uh, John... John uh, Ray. John Ray. And then the original Pippin with uh, Rubenstein. It was quite something. Yes. Yeah, I, used to, I lived in New Jersey, so I took the bus in to theater all the time. So the, the, this concept that theater doesn't have to change, does it? Or no. should it be a different experience? Well, theater has tried- to change because we change. Right. And if you look at what Rent did in 1996, Rent changed theater. Mm-hmm. In 1996, Broadway was populated by the British pop musical. Sure. Um, and the spectacle. Spectacle. You have Les Cats, Les Miserables. Phantom of the Opera, Miss Saigon. Mm-hmm. Those four musicals were the backbone of And Broadway. also a lot of technical stuff, a lot of yes. technical and complicated um, productions. When I collaborated with Jonathan, he used to say to me back in the mid-90s, that's not our music, those aren't our stories, those aren't our characters. Mm-hmm. And this is when we, I'm in my late 20s, mm-hmm. and Jonathan is in his early 30s. What did Rent do? It brought our young, you know, I was 31 years old. It brought the characters that meant something to me. It brought young New Yorkers who were striving to figure out what they were going to do with their lives. Right. And it simplified things. Absolutely. It went went drastically in the other direction. It cut back all of that technical stuff and went straight into story, character, music. So you don't imagine theater has to get more technical, adding things in seats, and and uh, there's all kinds of movement in sports. You get sports updates in the seats. Yeah. There's a lot of AR stuff going and then, on. You know, shortly after Rent, Chicago came back in a revival, and Chicago, when it opened in the '70s, was not that big a hit. But the mm-hmm. revival through yeah. fantastic dancing, really sexy women and men, and a completely stripped down production winds up running for 20 years, right? Because right. people are actually interested in uh, the music. The music in the strip. I saw the original one. It was pretty good. It was Gwen Verdon, I think. Is that right? You betcha. Yeah, that's who it was. So do you see that as as more of a trend or or is spectacle also there? Is there a range of experience in live theater? I think what's great about Broadway is that it's eclectic and there's always going to be something for everybody. So you might have a spectacle at one end of the street and then you might have a three-character musical that explores the deepest, darkest secrets in an American family at the other end of the street. And do you imagine an experience that would be like VR? Have you used used VR at all? I I have not used VR. A lot of different VR types have been approaching us. Oh, to do Hamilton in VR? Uh, Do some sort of a VR thing. You know, I got that little cardboard box in the New York Times one Sunday (laughs) and I was like, how do you use this? I I I must You don't have the right phone. I I just, I was like, "Eh." I'm guessing you have an iPhone, correct? I have an iPhone. Yeah. And I, and I kind of just like threw it in the garbage. I'm not interested in VR personally yet. Right. Um, I don't need a virtual experience. I just want to have an experience. Experience, But the idea of doing a virtual experience is really interesting. Go to the theater. I, just before this, we interviewed some people. They're doing these new, to do, instead of SoulCycle, you get the bike at home and then you have the class, a live class on your screen in front of you. And you never yet, have, yes. yet, I think I'd rather be in the class right. with all the other right. cyclers going through the same... Uh, 
challenges I'm going through, right. going through the well, same actually, struggles you do, I'm going you through. Get, you, yeah, I know, but they're on a screen. Yeah, and, yeah well, they, they, uh, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight, fight against it. So you, and there's I'm, no you Hamilton know, I'm a VR Bikram coming. yoga enthusiast. Uh -huh. I don't want to do Bikram in my bedroom by myself. I right. want to go into that hot, hot godforsaken room and at least know there is someone struggling on my right and uh -huh. on my left. Right. It's, it's, there's pleasure in that, the struggle or the joy on either side. Yes. So, but, so you don't envision adding anything to theatrical productions you do. Like the idea is there's going to be a VR our show on Broadway. Well, let's look at Hamilton. Lynn gets this crazy idea mm -hmm. that I want to make a hip-hop retelling of the story of the American founder, Alexander Hamilton. He's not one of the A-list no. founding fathers. Mm -mm. And he creates this story in such a way that it becomes the biggest hit in Broadway history. Mm -hmm. There's no virtual reality. None. There's no high-tech. There are no fancy sets. It's the storytelling, baby. And all I want to know is, what's the story? All right. Well, we'll be back in a second with Jeffrey Seller after a word from our sponsor. Casper made a perfect mattress and sells it directly to consumers to save you money. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Shipping to both the U.S. and Canada is completely free, and there's a 100-day risk-free trial and return policy. If you don't love your Casper mattress, they'll pick it up and refund everything. These mattresses are made in America. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com recode and using the promo code recode. Stop paying for the mattress industry's inflated prices. Go to casper.com recode and use the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. We're here with Jeffrey Seller, the producer of Hamilton, a little musical you might have heard of, which is going through a big expansion and changes right now. And we've talked about that a little bit, but and talked about how theater is changing. And Jeffrey refuses to have VR Hamilton, which is I'm sure everyone in Silicon Valley is crying about. But one of the things that has been interesting to me is we're going to talk about the, the business of, of it in a second, but I want to get to the phenomenon. You're talking about this is a show that did well because of the content, which I think a lot of people are realizing about a lot of things on the internet. It's the content, which even though the tools are terrific, um, just today there was a terrible thing that happened in Minnesota, but someone did a Facebook Live video of someone getting shot by the police. It was a sort of a fascinating moment in the way we interact. Um, and so there's all these tools and, and the ability to be live and the ability to do things, but in a lot of ways, simplicity does have to take over, I think a lot of people think, using all these tools. What you're describing in Minnesota is horrific. It sounds like something out of a science fiction Absolutely. novel, like from Super Sad True Love Story, which yeah. I read a few years ago, which was this you know, dystopian view of the future. And I think that theater becomes the antidote for all of those uh, those different activities and avenues. Because it's analog. It has because a moment of community. Because it's storytelling. So talk a little bit about the storytelling. What, why has Hamilton struck a note? There's a lot of wonderful plays. There's a lot of really tremendous things. What do you think are the elements? Well, first it? of all, I like to preface this. I, I must preface this by saying I can give you a hypothesis that is no better than anybody else's. All right. I have worked hard on Hamilton for the last six years, mm -hmm. like I worked hard on every single musical I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I did not predict that it would become this kind of a phenomenon. I knew it was good, and I knew it would be successful. Right. I didn't know that it would go this far, right. this fast. And I am asking myself that question all the time. What is it about this show 
right now that's making it strike a chord for so, so, so many people. I do believe that this show right now represents the best of who we can be as a country, as citizens, and as people. And as flawed people, because the characters are all flawed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which I think is more powerful. But I think that this show represents the best values and the best impulses of this great country. And I think that, I know for me, this show taps into a sense of patriotism I feel for my country that heretofore I have never felt in my whole life as a 51-year-old man who was born in the Johnson administration, grew up through Vietnam, Watergate, the impeachment of Nixon, the oil crisis. And I'm from Detroit, so Detroit was always going down. There was, there always seemed like there was never any good news there. And, uh... It just felt to me like, it feels to me like Hamilton is tapping into what's great about our country. Right, right. And, it's, um, and its values are those that we can all ascribe to, whether we are men or women or black or white or brown or Democrat or Republican or old or young. And yet it's the backdrop of possibly the most horrifying election in history, I would, one of them. And maybe that's one of the reasons that Hamilton provides such a great antidote. Right. So when you contrast it to that, what's happening now, do you think it changes people's attitudes or it makes them better people? I think Hamilton makes people ask themselves, what am I doing with my life? Right. Right. Absolutely. So when you when you first started to go up, now you did Rent, and one of the things that struck me in the story in the New York Times was you thought Rent and others could have done better um, in a different environment. Now, I know every producer says that, right? It should have done. But what is there a time now using social media and other ways that this gets around in a lot more powerful a way? Well, what I was speaking about in that article was that the audience for Rent was largely young. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started off on Broadway, because of the rave reviews and all of that, the more traditional Broadway audience absolutely came to the show, but they didn't quite get it. Right. And I don't think that they enjoyed it. And I think that there was an inverse uh, relationship to age and enjoyment of that show, which was as you got older, you enjoyed it less. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's just what that show was because right. of its unique nature in telling the stories of uh, young 20-something New Yorkers um, you know, living out their own La Boheme story. Mm-hmm. Once again, I mentioned in that article that I thought that the... Uh, label of hip-hop and Latino uh, pushed against some of the success we might have had to a greater degree within The Heights. I mean, mm-hmm. The Heights still was a big, successful show. It won the Tony for Best Musical. It ran for three years. It had a three-year tour. It was a very successful show. Right. But I did believe that there was a certain degree of racism and uh, a certain degree of fear of hip-hop that made people not want to go see In the Heights. And yet this show has all And then things. this show comes around and it has all of those and things. More. But because it is about perhaps the founding fathers, because it is about our American Revolution, because it is about Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, James Madison, the audiences... four white guys, yeah. Uh, yeah right. So they, we give them comfort. It's about those four white guys. Yeah. And then we turn everything upside down right. on its head. Who plays them, how they express themselves. And then audiences discover that they love who plays them. Right. And they love how these men express themselves in this unique musical way. You've also sold it marketing-wise in a different way. It's, it's not been very, this is a hip-hop musical. Of, it's interesting. It's very an iconic 
I found your use of social media fascinating. Like how you just iconic pictures, just not much information. The golden. Uh, I think you took over Penn Station. I remember walking through. Thank you. Uh, it was great. It, Thank you. But it didn't. I didn't know what to do. I just was aware of it. I Talk always, about how you think about well, getting want, it out. I want my advertising to give you a feeling. I don't want to tell you what the show is. An advertising image can't do that. Um, advertising is too fleeting. My opportunity to affect you is a split-second opportunity. Mm-hmm. So all I'm trying to do is see if I can capture something visually for you that might give you some feeling. Right. And I think that's what we tried to capture with the Hamilton artwork that uses this very lush, beautiful gold, right. which is money, right, right, right. <laughs> which is wealth, right. which is beauty. Mm-hmm. It's gold. And then, of course, it has the American star. Mm-hmm which has the patriotism. Right. And then it has the swagger of that man on the top of the star who represents the rebel who founds our country. Right. Which works perfectly. And you use it a lot in social media. Do you consider that a big part of the marketing of the show? Because all your stars are active. They do a lot on, you're always on Snapchat or viral videos or, do they do that themselves or is that part of your planning? Because I, I literally see them and they're using it beautifully. A lot of the stuff we started by design, and I was smart enough to hire a young 25-year-old who understands social (laughs) media and understands its effect on young people Mm -hmm. who would come into my office every day and pitch me five ideas. Mm -hmm. Granted, I would always reject three of them, Mm -hmm. but two of them I'd say, go with that. And we found that there is a great audience who wants to take in and interact with the show and with the actors Mm -hmm. in that kind of way and that just feeds their enthusiasm for the show did did you reject something that worked did you say no way like a snapchat let's do a snap oh you use snapchat (laughs) i don't use snapchat because um i heard it's dirty (laughs) (laughs) no and i have a 13 year old daughter who we wouldn't allow to have snapchat on her phone and then i read this article i have a 14 year old son so don't yeah i advise against it and then this times writer said oh no snapchat's good for our generation it's good first of all i don't need anybody to see my face at every minute of the day you know what i mean i'm talking about for hamilton but you yourself don't i don't know if we're using snapchat i know we're using you know twitter and facebook Uh and and all that stuff i I don't use it all i do is Instagram, which is a nice way for me to share pictures of my family and myself with my friends. Yeah, Yeah, but your kids, you must be learning from them. My kids are really on the cusp because um, we didn't allow our kids to have phones for a long time. Our daughter's 13. She now has a phone, but we have the Norton Family Utility, so she can't even use Safari. Okay. She can only use those apps that we... What are you doing? Why? Well, because we are helping her to stay... Innocent, innocent, and um, and not be exposed to some of the bad stuff that a lot of teenage girls are exposed yes, to. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and our son, who's twelve, doesn't even have a phone yet, but uh-huh. we promised one for the fall. For the fall, yeah. and then you'll be they'll be doing Snapchat all the time. Just FYI, I'm not letting it. It's not going to be on there. Really? Yeah. Why not? They have to. Snapchat's okay. I'm going to tell you. It's really? Okay. Yes. I, all I hear is it's about teenagers sending naked pictures of themselves to their friends. Perhaps that's in New York, but otherwise they use it very creatively. <laughs> they York? can use they they are they can be creative with it. It's a really interesting more than you think. So I think the problem is anyone over 16 really doesn't get it. Doesn't yeah. understand how to how the utility of using it. It's it's, it's like right. text. And well, it's, it's like, ephemeral, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, allegedly. Now they Allegedly. have a new thing. They have a oh, new yeah. thing. They, new they thing. have the non-ephemeral version of yes, Snapchat. Yes, now they do. They do, actually. Yeah. Um, so in terms of where the show is going in terms of selling, so you don't want to put it, you don't want to stream it. You never wanted to stream it. You never wanted to do Absolutely not. like an NBC live show of it. We will not do an NBC live show. All right. But you, the idea of streaming it is I want something. you to 
work hard to buy a ticket, ticket and come to my theater in Chicago or come to my theater in San Francisco or Seattle mm-hmm. or Portland or any theater I'm going to go to and interact with the show in a live way. In a live way. That is going to give you an experience that you can't have in any other way. So let's get to getting the tickets. It's been a really It's kind of like, can I be crass? Yeah, go ahead. Do you want to have sex or do you want to have a virtual reality experience of sex? <laughs> now, a lot of people might answer the second. <laughs> think about it. Well, I wouldn't. Okay. Um, it's it's going to be, you know, it's really an interesting question because it's getting pretty good. Because there's a new thing called haptic touch. Do you know about that? No, of course uh, I don't know it's, about that. They're developing it at places like MIT, but it pushes back at you. So it will feel as if someone... So there's friction. There's friction. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting thing. And in, in artificial intelligence, you won't know the difference. You won't know what real I hated that movie, AI. Did you? Steven Spielberg movie. Yes, I so, know. No. But a lot of it that's coming is really interesting. Um, and it's really scary, too, at the same time. Um, but that's some years from now, and we'll be dead, so that's fine. Um, so uh, let's <laughs> or talk, not, let's talk we're about though, just live and live and live. Well, we might have from our, all this our new, liver replaced. From all this new technology. You can have your liver printed at some point. Well, my liver's great. I take Bikram Yoga. Okay. I flush it out right, every day. Those who don't do that <laughs> may have to have their liver printed out on a, in a 3D printer. That's another topic. Let's talk about <laughs> technology affecting Hamilton, because one of the issues you guys have been, Lynn and you and others, you wrote a piece for the New York Times, is these bots. Um, bots is a big deal in Silicon Valley right now. They love them. Everybody loves bots in Silicon Valley. You don't love bots so much. Whoa. What, you know what you're bringing up is something so interesting, which is that there's no question that digital media has helped us to publicize our show, to mm-hmm. advertise our show and market our show through all of those social media avenues we've talked about. Bots are another form of digital, uh, they're not their digital tool, but this is a nefarious digital tool. Mm-hmm. It's using a robot to go onto the Ticketmaster website and cut the line and make the site inaccessible to the average person so that the bot can go scoop up and buy thousands of tickets in a minute. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, there's also people involved. Go, yeah. oh yeah, well those, of course, these, yeah. these bots are completely right. controlled by bad right. actors right. who are secondary ticket sellers. Right. And then they take all of those tickets and then they go resell them on the secondary market. Right. So two bad things are happening. One is that the consumer who wants to buy a ticket for the regular price can't get it because the bot bought it first. Right. Two is now it's on the secondary market. Yeah, at StubHub or- At or- StubHub at Vivid Seat, mm-hmm. at Seat Geek, mm-hmm. they all try to act like Which they're. You never he- thought you would know about. Oh, my, I never thought I know any of these things. I know about all of them now, mm-hmm. and um, and it's been that. So that that ticket that was one seventy seven mm-hmm. is now being sold for three or four times that. Mm-hmm. So that and the general user can't can't afford it, or if they can afford it. All those extra monies are going to the people that don't deserve it. And not it. the people who do the shows. Correct. So you say you shouldn't let the robot fight robots to see something you love. A consumer doesn't. And then you all, from the economic point of view, they're pulling... What was the number that uh, bots doubled the price? Uh, and so, so Someone wrote that the bots... Or, or the, the secondary market pulled out another $60 million in the last year from our show. From your show. I, can, I don't know. I don't yeah. know if that's true or not, right. but that's what someone said. Well, they've created a market for it. So if, a- if we grossed over the last year $75 million or $80 million, another $60 million was grossed by secondary now, m- market. scalping has been a problem forever. 1850s, 1860s. Yeah, it's, yeah it started uh, in this country and here's um, a show. in the mid-19th century. So here's a show that everyone wants to go to. There's going to be scalping, but Always. they've moved it to a new level, in other, is what you're saying. Absolutely. 
what can you do to prevent it? You got the New York to make the laws more difficult. We've finally been able to get the New York State Legislature to criminalize bots. So that at least gives the Attorney General the ability to bring someone to court and put them in jail for using a bot. Mm -hmm. Will they? That's the question. They will not. That's the issue. I mean, the, the money they're making is so great on your show, for example. The ability to fight back is, is pretty strong inexpensive. Because there's so it's pretty right. inexpensive it, is yeah, what it is, yeah. comparatively. So, so A, there's that. Um, more important, we have worked very diligently with Ticketmaster to uh, continue to create new software that can overcome the bots. Mm -hmm. So, for example, once we, dis we what we did is we pulled back all of our own ticket selling uh, tools so that, for example, uh, we didn't send the barcode. We don't send the tickets out right away. You don't mm -hmm. get the tickets till two weeks or four weeks before the show comes. And then Ticketmaster has been able to identify the bad actors, mm -hmm. identify the bought, bought tickets, mm -hmm. <laughs> the B-O-T, B-O-U-G-H-T <laughs> tickets. Right. And um, in the middle of May, I went and refunded $9 million in, in uh, the course of a week of, of bought tickets. To the bots. That's to, right. To the bot companies. Yep, we refunded it. Why not sell them just on your own site? Why do you need to use Ticketmaster and other thing? Why can't you just... Well, first of then all... Then you'd have total... Sure. Well, well my, you could still be attacked by well, bots. Well, my but. site would never have the uh, technical sophistication that Ticketmaster does because right. I'm at least able to piggyback on their right. intellectual resources that are much greater than mine because they're a bigger site. So th that would actually make the problem worse mm -hmm. if I could do my own site. You didn't fight the bots, but really. what you're also asking is, why do I have to rely on Ticketmaster? And ultimately, that's a, an interesting thing about the nature of theater, which is that I actually don't have full control over my ticketing. I am renting a theater from a landlord, and the landlord made the deal with, with Ticketmaster. Ticket so that's how you so get it. I'm in a bit of Does a Does that have to change for producers like yourself? Do it you? never changes. It has well, never changed. Could it change? I'm just thinking of Hollywood right now is taking back control from producers are taking back control as creators are taking back because they do go to Netflix. They have right. a way to distribute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you have um, to be more technically the, literate? The, the Broadway well? system is a very closed system. Right. So you can't, don't think you can do that. Do you... It's a legal monopoly. Do you think that Ticketmaster and, and or StubHub, StubHub more and others like it are culpable in this? Well, first of all, you can't put Ticketmaster and StubHub in the no, same... No, no, Ticketmaster product. sells. I Ticketmaster mean, is a primary selling And they're trying to get source. rid of the problem. And they're trying to get rid of the problem. So Ticketmaster is my ally, and they're actually doing a good job because I've been able to make some headway in combating the bots and getting mm -hmm. those tickets available to the general ticket-buying public. Mm -hmm. StubHub is the eBay of tickets. Right. Anybody who has a ticket can go post their ticket on StubHub for any amount that they wish. And frankly, I can't stop it, and I'm not going to try. Right. So if a regular person I'm buys not, Hamilton tickets if, and feels like making some If a regular person money. buys six, because that's the limit, and they decide to put two of them on StubHub, I've, I don't have enough time to deal with that. Right. That's just the way of the world. Right. That's okay by me. That's not what I'm trying to stop. Um, and there will always be a market for that, and more power to them. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to stop a bot controlled by a nefarious actor from using StubHub. From using my site mm -hmm. to buy up all the tickets so that the general public can, so that you, Kara, can't get one. Right. So, is, what did you have you been working with StubHub and others on this? Do what? they care? Well, uh, StubHub is the place where they go with them. Right. But do you, can you stop them via StubHub? Have you been in discussions with them? No, I've never had a conversation with StubHub. And if that's the crazy marketplace, you don't want to go to them and say, there's something funny going on here. You think that's useless? Yeah, I think it's useless. That they won't. What do they say? think? What? <laughs> 
what are they going to say? Say we're not going to sell tickets by third party sales kind of thing. Something uh, but like every, that. But every, no matter how, they're going to say, we don't know how we got our tickets. Yeah, yeah. What are they going to say? I, yeah. well, well, should they be prosecuted just, in this in these new laws? If you're letting, if you're selling legal whatever. Right. I think we have to step softly. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know what I mean? I think we need to go after these bots. I think we need to go after them with laws mm-hmm. that will slow them down. And then I think we have to go over them with better software. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we need to win intellectually. Okay. All right. That's where I want to win. All right. When we go back, we're going to talk about the future and what you're doing in the future. You have a television show, possibly, all kinds of stuff. We're with Jeffrey Seller, the producer of Hamilton. This episode is brought to you by Wonder Capital. You probably know someone who's installed solar panels in their home. Small and medium-sized businesses want to go solar too, but financing for commercial solar isn't easy to get. Wonder Capital is helping them solve that problem. It allows individuals to invest in their solar funds, which go directly to helping these small and medium-sized U.S. businesses go solar. And since the beginning of the year, Wonder has originated over $25 million worth of solar projects. When businesses repay their loans to Wonder, you receive monthly cash flows in the form of interest payments. Wonder Capital doesn't take any fees for investing your money. Two funds are available. The Wonder Income Fund returns 6% per year during a 10-year period, and the Wonder Bridge Fund returns 11% per year in a two-year period. These funds are asset-backed, assets being the solar panel. Learn how you can begin earning up to 11% returns at wondercapital.com slash recode. That's W-U-N-D-E-R capital.com slash recode. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? Thanks, Kara. Uh, this week I talked to Jacob Weisberg, all-around smart guy, uh, one of the original founders of Slate, slate.com. It's been around for nearly 20 years now. Um, we talked about Donald Trump, of course. We talked about the state of uh, digital publishing. We spent a bunch of time talking about podcasting because Slate was an early pioneer in podcasting. And we talked about how we're going to eventually figure out how to make money or even more money from this. So it's a really good conversation. You can find Recode Media at iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here having a fascinating conversation with Jeffrey Seller about bots and theater and where things are going. Um, and I do want to talk to you about the next thing. Now, you're, you've been a theater producer your whole life. I have. A theater geek essentially, uh, since you've been a kid. I'm not a seat geek, but I'm You're a not theater a seat geek. geek. Um, I, never, I never heard of seat geek. It's I another, never... it's just like StubHub. Yeah. You are doing other things. You signed a deal with NBC to produce television shows. Yes. How do you... Crazy. What, right? what does that mean? You're uh, doing it with a guy who has a great experience, too. Uh, yeah. Well, I have been uh, an acquaintance of and admirer of Bob Greenblatt, the head of NBC Universal, mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, frankly, it all goes back to how much I loved 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 six feet under mm-hmm. when he was the producer and it was on hbo and i used to just design my whole sunday so that i could was sit that down the best on finale sunday of all time? And, and, and watch six feet under best finale i think of any show perhaps i think it was yeah. so touching well notwithstanding the brady bunch but um did they have a finale know, that, that, wait know. a minute did they have a finale they actually didn't have a finale they but there was greg's graduation where yes. his hair yeah. turned yeah. orange yeah um the only show i might have loved as much as the brady bunch was six feet under uh-huh. and um so i've admired bob all these years bob loves theater and uh over the last year, I hooked up with a great guy named Floaty Suarez. And mm-hmm. anyone who has a name like called Floaty Suarez, you, you to want to be in the room with that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then they said, uh, will you work on some TV shows? Or like, well, you know, right. bring us your ideas for TV shows. Have you ever thought of shows. doing television? Television's changing, by the way, because of digital. Well, too. television has having its own golden age, yeah. right? It, what, interestingly, it, it, very digital. Because if you go back 15 years, all of the people that wrote 
scripts Mm -hmm. for fictional television were very scared that that era was over because of uh, Survivor Mm -hmm. and all of the reality television shows. Like it was the end of scripted television. And now we're in a completely golden age of scripted television. Which is due to Netflix and Amazon and others too. All those other sources. Yeah, right. Where some of the best television is being made. Some of them. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. So with all that in mind, I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I said, if you're ever expecting me to do a procedural mm-hmm. or a cop show right. or a hospital show or a lawyer show, I won't be that guy. Right. I love making shows about family. Okay. Hence Brady Bunch. Hence Brady Bunch. Hence Partridge hence, Family. Hence. Um, hence my love for Six Feet Under. Six Feet Under. Absolutely. Uh, my love for family, starring Seda Thompson and James mm-hmm. Broderick oh, and Christy, Christy McNichol. And Meredith I, I remember every single actor on that show. Um, oh, my. And Meredith Baxter Burney. And Good Times right. and all of the normal Lear shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, well, this is a fun time of my life. Let's mm-hmm. see if we can get anything going. If we right. can, good. If we don't, that's okay. Right. So what do you think? The best time to go make a TV show is when you don't need to, and right. I don't need to. So, so let's see if we can make something fun. What do you fun. think of where television is going, given how people watch it, the binge watching, the, the way people watch it on phones, the way they watch it in different ways? Television is a medium that is all about a screen. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, whether they watch it on a screen uh, on their phone or Mm -hmm. on their television or on their computer, what's the difference? Right. I think it's great. So is there something different that has to happen? It's just the storytelling, the same thing. I think it's still about character. Mm -hmm. It's still about the human condition. Would you imagine shorter? Because a lot of people are experimenting with shorter shows, different size shows, different seven-minute shows, things like that. Do you watch a lot of that? Or no, do I don't you watch see, any of it. You don't watch any of it. So you're thinking just the more traditional 30-minute. Yeah. I mean, look at me. Here's the, I, I am sitting here. I am the guy who still opens the door of my apartment at mm-hmm. 6.30 in the morning, and I really like the first action of my day. New York Times. Which right. is to pick up the hard paper. <laughs> and you're a dying breed. I'm sorry. To tell I know, you. but I love it, and I'm not letting go. All right. Well, you know, I do that, but I do it on my phone. I pick up my, my phone, oh, and then yeah, I mean, and then I'm on my phone looking at the New York Times all day. I mean, right. I mean, this is the problem and the fun thing about the New York Times. Mm-hmm. More people are reading the New York Times than mm-hmm. ever before in their history. Yeah, they just haven't figured out how to monetize. Yes, they're it. just making less money than ever before. And you know what? Yeah. Maybe they're going to have to be okay with that. Yeah, maybe. Well, not making four hundred million dollars a year just is going to have to be okay. Yeah, well, maybe actually I'll... losing money is where they're close to at this point. No, they're but... not losing money. Well, they're, I'm they're... saying it's it's more difficult for them. Yeah, so maybe they'll only on. make twenty or thirty million dollars. Or a someone year. will buy them. Someone will buy them. Someone like Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. Well, you, you know, in St. Petersburg, the paper is owned by a not-for-profit. Right. So that could maybe too. maybe the the formula has something to do with the way NPR works. Right. So, you know, which right. is the other uh, media outlet that I consume the most. Of. Mm-hmm. So so what do you do? You have any idea? For, I mean, you're not going to tell me all your ideas, oh, yeah, but, do you have, you, but you're going to make a show. Ideas? You want to make a show. I have three ideas. We're going right. to see what we can do. But you're going to make a show, not a live th- It doesn't have to be a theater no, presentation. Uh, they didn't come to me because I don't want to do one of those live shows. What do you think of those? I like some of them more than others, but <laughs> mo- mo- most important... Uh, you know, because I am me, I'm going to have critical opinions. Right. But I think the idea of doing a Broadway musical live on TV mm-hmm. has been an enormous boon mm-hmm. to both TV and theater. Right, I agree. I love it. And mm-hmm. I think it's helping theater, and I think it's helping to spread theater throughout the whole country in a way that absolutely will translate into more people wanting to see live theater. Right, right. So I love it from that perspective. I loved American Idol and The Voice from those perspectives mm-hmm. because it was bringing performing back into America's living room mm-hmm. 
in a powerful, popular way. So it wasn't just about football. Football may be as popular as ever, Mm -hmm. but there's a whole bunch of people that are more interested in a talent show. Right. And I guess I'm on the talent show end. And so I've really liked seeing how talent shows became very popular. Would you ever do a reality show? What are your thoughts? No, I would never do a reality show. I have no interest in it. No interest in it. But the content, like a dramatic presentation is what you're thinking of. Yeah. A story. I'm a storyteller. Uh-huh. I'm a fictional storyteller. I am a book reader. I love reading no, t- You read hard books, novels. don't you? Don't you? Like, in, Do you on know what? Paper. I have both. I often buy them on both. Uh-huh. And I'm reading a beautiful, astonishing, sad, gut-wrenching novel called A Little Life Right Now. Oh. And I have it on both my iPad and I, I do have my iPad and I'm reading... Where do you like to read it better? Do you have a preference? Yeah, I'm reading the hard copy. Yeah. I, I, You know what happened to me? Every time I started reading book, I was reading books on my iPad and it was fine, but then I would forget the name of the book I read because I never... Because right. I wasn't Touching relating it, it to right. it. Yeah. Where now I'm reading A Little Life mm-hmm. and um, I am with the cover every day. Right. So I'm not going to forget the title of this novel. Yeah. I just recently started reading books as books, like real books, because I realized I do everything digitally. And I just wanted to try to, but I cannot read a newspaper anymore. I can't pick it up. I can't, yeah, I can't do you're, it. You're, you're, the print it's, is going to I don't know what it dirty. is. I just can't do the folding anymore. It's gone. It's right. all gone. So it's now all... you don't get the, the benefit or the liability of their editing. Well, I do. How they I do. Lay out I see the page. what they feature. No, they do. Yeah. They do feature it on the app. Yeah. You, they, they definitely push you towards. But if I things. if I look at my New York Times on the app all day, mm-hmm. and then I see the paper later, there will always be an article in uh, the true. hard copy that I'm like, I never noticed it. Right. That's true. Because you link to link to somehow, link. Somehow, I just you know what I mean. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You didn't notice it. Yeah. Something, They're doing a great job of they both fell things. So let's finish up talking a little bit about where you think media is going. You're obviously tradition a traditionalist. Um, but you're not a Luddite. You don't Correct. consider yourself a Luddite. What do you What do you You read the newspaper. You read books. Do you watch a regular television where you get up and turn the... No, I'm kidding. You're using... You use just a regular television or do you... How do you watch? Uh, Binge watchy? I'm such... Well, maybe I'm, you're going to call me a Luddite now. <laughs> I've had moments where I don't even... I can't even figure out how to get the Amazon TV show on my TV. Like I can't, mm-hmm. like it's just, <laughs> I can do it in, I can do it in one house, but not in the other. Uh-huh. Because what is my favorite TV show right now? What? Transparent, of oh, course. Yes, of course, of yes. Course. Of course. Family. What do you like about that? I like that it is a show about these five family members mm-hmm. who are desperately trying to connect and are also lonely. Right. Yeah, but they're, they're awful people. But too. they're yeah. they're trying. Uh-huh. And yeah, they do awful things. Yeah. Right? They do awful things to yeah. each other. Yeah. And yet they're not awful. Yeah. But you watch in peace. You don't watch in regular time. You watch when you feel no, like I, it. No, so I watch when I feel like when it. You but feel anyway, like... so if I can figure out how to open that goddamn Amazon <laughs> Prime TV thing <laughs> on my TV, because you had to go out of the cable and into some other place. So just push the uh, smart TV button. Then I can, I can help watch you a couple like. episodes yeah. of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Anything I'm good else for two you at consume? A time. I can't binge watch because I'll fall asleep. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I binge watch all the time. I, I fall. I, I I fall asleep in the theater. Do you know too. what I've recently <laughs> been binge watching for some bizarre reason? What? Madam Secretary with Tia Leone because she's flawless. And she oh, always really? has the answers. Yes. How does anyone have time to binge watch? I just do it. Just do it. I sit up at night and do it. Oh. That's yeah, interesting. And what else do you consume? Do you try to avoid? You know, technology, or do you obviously have kids, so you can't completely avoid it, although maybe you can... Yeah. Well, I go to the theater a lot, so, uh, you know, unlike many people, I'm probably sitting in a seat in a theater 30 times a year, so that's a lot of my viewing time, right? Right. Um, Yeah, so after I've sat in the theater and read my book, 
and taking care of my kids. Mm-hmm. And I still like going to movies, by the way. Mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. like the actual event of, of physically buying a ticket going to the, going to and the going and buying popcorn right. and sitting in that movie theater mm-hmm. and watching whatever you know the movie was this year, right? Was mm-hmm. it Spotlight? I loved Spotlight. Spotlight was great. Yeah, for me, those are great events. Mm-hmm. So you still do that. So I like to consume that. That's pretty old-fashioned. Uh-huh. It is. It is actually. Fewer people are doing yeah. that, which is interesting. Um, I like to do stuff where people come together. Right. Absolutely. Do you expect to stay in the theater? Do you expect to be a? I'll be doing theater until I die. Till you die. Yes. Because it's who I am. Uh-huh. It's where I derive pleasure. It's where I derive reward. It's where I feel emotionally alive, and it's where I am occasionally thrilled when I'm watching something new that surprises me, Mm -hmm. that takes me somewhere I've never been, that stimulates my ear in a way it's never been stimulated before, where I can go, oh my God, I've never heard it like that before. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt when Lynn started playing songs for me from his budding new musical, Hamilton. It's called Hamilton Mixtape, right? That's right. It was yeah. called the Hamilton Mixtape. Yeah, yeah. I asked him over if he would like maybe cut the mixtape. Okay. He it was a good move. And finally one day he so said, it, that's that, that touches idea. you, that moves you. And you think that's yeah. possible in this digital age. I know it's possible. Mm-hmm. And I know that's why Broadway sold 13 million tickets last year. Right. And that's why Hamilton is sold out from now until the end of next May. Next May. That's why Hamilton is a, sold out for its first six months in Chicago already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And San Francisco, I think it's Well, San out. Francisco, we haven't gone on sale yet, yeah. but it'll be sold out there, too. Yeah. Um, so all those Silicon Valley guys who love bots and, <laughs> and, and virtual Please reality, yeah, they're going to be jumping over each other at Vivid Seat, paying five, six thousand dollars to get tickets to our Sadly, show. Sadly, so they guess can what? afford it. Guess what they want to do? They want to come to the theater, yeah. and they want to sit in that seat, yeah. and they want to have that communal... All right. Fire Maybe they can help you. They do know experience. a thing too about technology, but they do have the money to pay for the tickets. Sadly yeah. for you, good for you. Sad. No, good for the bots. Yeah. Last question: I always ask everybody I interview. I interview a lot of entrepreneurs. You're clearly an entrepreneur, and I'm not going to say can you top this because you you had you've had such a career. Rent is was a mind blowing production, and then you keep topping it. But what's a mistake you made as an entrepreneur? Like I always like a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show. What is something that you learned from or wanted to do? And what's something you did really well that you said, okay, that was really smart as an entrepreneur? Okay. Uh, I've had, so Hamilton is part of these four musicals I did that are, were big hits and they all won the Tony for best musical. Mm -hmm. But for every one of those, I've had another new musical that I loved and worked really hard on that did not work, whether Mm -hmm. that was the wild party or that was high fidelity or that was, the last ship. And I fail all the time. And mm-hmm. I have to be willing to fail in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And I always look back on my failures and say, what did I do wrong? And what could I have done better that would have made a difference for that show to so make it successful? Give me an example. Instead of unsuccessful. To example, I look back at High Fidelity and I ask, you know, what went wrong with that show that wound up running 10 performances on Broadway? And you know what? The, what I learned from it? I should have never done it. <laughs> I didn't like I didn't like the movie. Okay. And I wound up doing it because I believed so fervently in the artists who were making it. All right. But you didn't like the movie. But I didn't like the source material. Right. And what was my mistake? I didn't follow my heart. Mm-hmm. My heart was saying, this isn't working. And my head said, keep going. Right. So what did I learn as an entrepreneur? Every time I don't follow my heart, mm-hmm. that's where I'm 
bound to get into trouble. Have you followed your heart and gotten into trouble? And that happens too. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> but I think or, you're right about the Or thing. by getting in trouble, sometimes I have to follow my heart and it doesn't work out. Yeah. I followed my heart with the last ship. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, what happened there from your perspective? Um, the audience didn't want it. It was all about death. Mm-hmm. Every single theme of that show went back to death. Ah. Death of industry, death of family, death of romantic relationship. Death of town community. Well, Sondheim has done pretty well with that, but yeah. no, he has. Well, yeah. I mean, yes and no. Yeah. Let's you know. If you're you right. Look, you're right. Critical success, but yeah. Not. And that show was a beautiful poem about loss, mm-hmm. and I don't think the audience was up for it. Not for that. All right. Very last question. If you had to pick one show and not one of yours, what was the one that affected you the most, or you thought was the most successful in your eyes? Success could be defined any way you want. Sure. Well, my first experience actually coming to a Broadway musical when I was 17 years old. I just graduated high school in Oak Park, Michigan. My cousin brought me to see Dreamgirls. Ah. And um, there was something about the story of those young people wanting to make it big and Jennifer Holliday that moved me in the theater in a way that I had heretofore never been moved before at age 17. And I don't know if I've ever been moved that powerfully after either Mm -hmm. because it just had that power it was a seminal moment for me in the theater and i am not going and i'm not telling you i'm not leaving yeah and i'm not leaving (laughs) uh jeffrey thank you so much this has been a delight i am a theater buff i am a huge fan of yours and i know the cast gets a lot of attention and lynn does but you know a lot of the success of these have to do with also the people behind the scenes and i really appreciate you coming to talk about it thank you kara if you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Huffington Post founder Ariana Huffington, Geography of Genius author Eric Weiner, and U.S. Representative Nancy Pelosi, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Two Embarrassed Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our sponsors, Casper and Wonder Capital. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes the show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.